Our friends over at Global TV have been having a lot of fun with yeast in space, ace, ace, the last few days, talking about this incredible story from UBC. A pleasure to say good morning and welcome back, and congratulations to Dr. Corey Nislow, who is a cell biologist and professor at UBC and the lead Artemis project researcher, uh, talking about yeast in space. Dr. Nislow, Corey, good morning and welcome back, sir. Well, well, thank you. Uh, Good morning, and it's great to be back. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's our pleasure entirely. You sent a shoebox-sized container of samples of yeast and algae aboard that uh, Artemis One rocket. It was unmanned, but it made it all the way to outer space and splashed down safely. And your experiments uh, were deemed successful, A, because they made it back, and you've (laughs) you've, you've had a chance to take a look at them. Are you satisfied or even a tiny bit surprised by any of the results you know um sterling i was thinking what's the best way to describe uh uh the my my own and my lab's feelings um um these days and uh i was thinking of the song what a long strange trip it's been Hmm. uh because so to answer your question we uh, we were really very pleasantly surprised um when I got to uh, Kennedy Space Center to, and saw that our, um, the um, experimental setup was full of grown yeast, um, it, it immediately told us that the experiment, the, for all intents and purposes, the experiment worked. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone grew and they were happy. Um, and the temperature and the humidity was spot on. So, you know, these guys were little pathfinders um, for the crew that's going to go and um, go up in Artemis II in about a year and a half. Because um, if they didn't su- uh, survive and thrive, then um, crew members certainly wouldn't be able to. Right. And Artemis, ultimately, of course, Corey, is about human beings not just returning to the moon, but returning moon uh, to the moon, rather, to essentially stay a while. And one of the big concerns, even in transit, to say nothing of staying there, is cosmic radiation and, and its effects on human beings. What were you able to determine with your yeast samples, for example, about cosmic radiation? Well, um, I have to uh, just give a little bit of caveat that the, what we will be determining uh, uh, is is uh, a little ways into the future because okay. what we've done is um, these uh, our six thousand different yeast mutants and our ten thousand different algae mutants they they grew they came back but um, certain mutants. Uh, will definitely have grown better, or and and some will have grown worse mm. than others, and so that's what we're going to be doing over the next, um, dare I say, year year and a half is individually decoding using whole genome sequencing who survived, the, who thrived. It, essentially, we're asking who was the most. And when we are uh, being able to determine that will then allow us to say these are the genes that are most important for surviving that cosmic radiation that you just mentioned. And it also has earthbound applications too, doesn't it, Dr. Nislow, with the ability of, uh, in, in terms of understanding the effects of radiation that could ultimately benefit humans undergoing radiation therapies of all different sorts here on Earth. Well, you know, it's it's really a, such a basic uh, 
issue of the more you know, the better able you're, uh, you are to uh, deal with challenges. And radiation therapy, as you just mentioned, is a challenge mm-hmm. because what you're trying to do is, is walk this knife edge of uh, irradiate cancer cells so that you kill them and they don't proliferate, but leave the non-cancerous cells as unharmed as possible. And so uh, what the genes that uh, come up in our yeast experiments and our algae experiments will definitely point the way towards which human genes we should be focusing on. And this is a little bit, well, five years ago, this would have been science fiction. Mm -hmm. But once the yeast point to human genes we should be focusing on, we can then, using CRISPR and these new DNA editing technologies, hopefully tweak those genes in human cells to make them better able to withstand the insult of radiation. Yeah, that's a good point, because, of course, a lot of humans will tell you that, yes, I've had radiation therapy, and boy, did it take a round out of me. I'm not, still not quite the same. Uh, and, and it's just it's a byproduct, isn't it? It's just that simple. It is because, you know, cancer therapy, although cancer therapies, you know, are getting better and better every year. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, what you're doing is you're pushing cells to the brink. And the hope is that the cancer cells, because they're unstable, fall over the edge, whereas normal cells don't. But the, the better we understand the process, the better we're able to you know, use things like nutrition use uh, and and um, medications to help. Uh, yeah, as you said, a radiation treatment packs a wallop and the recovery is long. And so uh, the, the more we're able to understand the process, the better able we'll, help, we'll be able to help individuals recover better and faster. Indeed. I saw you talking on television the other day about how this is going to keep your students really busy for quite some time. And it's all about the DNA in the yeast and identifying, as you said earlier, what what was successful and what didn't make the cut, so to speak. Exactly. And Sterling, this is the exciting, one of the really exciting aspects of this project is I, you know, I, I'm a, a product of the Apollo generation. Mm-hmm, me too. Um, and, uh, and, and now we're talking about, you know, we have four Canadian astronauts who are, who are part of the Artemis generation. And I like to think that our yeast and algae are also part of that generation because you remember from, from Apollo, we, we brought back some amazing rocks. Sure. And we're still studying them. But, you know, rocks are rocks, and they don't divide, and they don't continue to proliferate. Mm-hmm. We're, we've spent the past week um, archiving all of these yeast and algae and continuing to grow them such that long after I'm retired, um, uh, these yeast will still be contributing because any researcher across Canada or the world can access these, um, these yeast and use techniques that, frankly, in 2016, when we were first designing this project, use techniques to decode the DNA that didn't even exist in 2016. So um, it, uh, uh, these model organisms have always been great ways to push the limits. 
Interesting stuff. And a final question to you, Dr. Nislow, is uh, you mentioned going down to the, the Space Center and, and uh, being so overjoyed to find everything worked and made it back in, a, in, in fine shape. Uh, I'm curious about the audience that is, is available to you. How many people, uh, and because you're in contact with your colleagues literally around the planet, the interest yeah. level on this must be incredibly high. You know, it, it you know we're we're uh, scientists can can be sort of um, you know whole thing hold their emotions close to the chest, but Sterling, uh, folks are really excited, and we have plans to go to Japan this summer to simulate cosmic radiation to mm. do further testing, and so you know it's a it's an iterative process. It we keep learning, and to answer your question. Everyone is really excited. And I have T-shirts printed up for the entire team, and I have to order a second batch. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good sign when you run out of merch and you need to, you need to go for round two. Corey, thanks ever so much for doing this. We invited you back in front of lots of witnesses several weeks ago, and you, you very kindly agreed. And it's just a real treat to have you come back and, and describe more about the, especially now that it's over and proven to be uh, such a success. Congratulations again to you and all of your team, and I look forward to further conversations about further findings. I would love it, and I'd love to send you a T-shirt as well. So thank you so much for having us. Our pleasure. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.